Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, good morning, guys. Ah, thank you. Thank you. We had a good time. Thank you for praying for us. We really do appreciate that. It was good. We missed you. We missed you. Quick announcement here before I get started. Uh, We have a new Bible study. It's called Experiencing God. Henry Blackaby, if you're familiar with that, we're going to be starting that Wednesday, August the 18th in the fellowship hall right here, 6 p.m., so mark your calendars. That's going to be an amazing, amazing study. It's a 13-week study. All right, grab your Bibles. We are in Mark chapter 12 today, verses 28 through 34. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back for you there. Or if you would like a new Bible, a CSB Bible, a Christian Standard Bible, that's the Bible that I preach from, go ahead and grab one. That is our gift to you. Well, let me review. Um, So it's been three weeks since we've been in the book of Mark. So let me review here before we get started. We are in the last week of Jesus's earthly life. This is Wednesday of Passion Week. Monday was Jesus's triumphal entry into the city of Jerusalem. Monday was also known as Lamb Selection Day for Passover. Tuesday is when Jesus cleansed the temple, and here we are Wednesday. Wednesday is a time of testing for Jesus. It's also a day of teaching for Jesus. Thursday, that's going to be the betrayal of Judas Iscariot during the Passover meal. And then on Friday, we're going to see Jesus be humiliated. He's going to be beaten and murdered for the Lamb, um, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then on Sunday... Jesus walks out of his own grave, conquering sin and death. So as we're, as we're finding out here, Wednesday is a very, very long day for Jesus, for the 12 disciples. Jesus has been tested three times so far by the religious leaders on this Wednesday. The first test came from the Sanhedrin. The second test included both groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians. The third test came from the Sadducees. And it was, it was then we learned how badly mistaken the Sadducees were when it came to the subject of the resurrection. Jesus passed that test. The Sadducees, they walked away with their tail between their legs. And we learned several key points from the Sadducees. These are important. Number one, we learned that the afterlife is not identical to this life. I mean, isn't that good news? Yeah. Holy smokes, man. That should be encouraging. God has a life plan for his children that is so majestic, we can't even begin. We can't even fathom the majesty. All these problems, all these weights, all these trials that you are going through right now, you're not even, it's it's just a blip on the radar, guys. It is. It is. Amen is right. Number two, 
We learn that we are led astray when we don't trust in the whole counsel of the Bible. We're going to learn that lesson again as Jesus takes us back to the Old Testament. He's got some more stuff to teach us there. And thirdly, we learn that it's impossible to experience the power of God apart from his word, apart from the Bible. And when you read the word of God by the spirit of God, it's then will you experience God day by day. And that's why our middle name is Bible, River Bible Church, because we teach the Word of God verse by verse, and we want you to apply these things and to experience God day by day. Now, we ended our study on Mark three weeks ago on a pretty somber note, um, and that note is that we're all going to die. Newsflash, you heard it here first. We discussed how God uses this life and its trials and all of its tragedies to prepare, for, to, pre to prepare you for that moment where you're going to see Jesus Christ face to face. You're going to see him in flesh. Guys, this is not your best life now if you're a child of God. It is your best life now if you don't believe, and that's pretty scary. But as a child, we are, we are to persevere, we are, we are to have faith and endure to the end. God has called you to finish your life well and for you to keep your faith all the way to the end. The Apostle Paul says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, We don't give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Can you all relate that your body's falling apart? But verse 17, Paul says, you know what? Your body falling apart, that is a momentary light affliction. And that's doing something inside of you. It's, it's producing for you an absolutely incomparable. You cannot compare this to anything. It's an eternal weight of glory. Dang, dang. So we're not going to focus as believers, as the church, we're not going to focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is, is seen, all this stuff is temporary. Every, everything that you see, it's all temporary. It's all going away. And then Paul says, what is unseen is eternal. The Apostle Paul, he goes on to say in chapter 6, he says, we also appeal to you, we beg you. Don't receive this grace of God in vain, guys. For he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I'm the one that helped you. And see, right now, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. So this is just a beautiful reminder for us as the church to continue inviting. We are to continue handing out those little blue invitation cards in the foyer and to be ready to be prepared for all of these God intersections, all these divine appointments throughout the week. This is why we have those paperback Bibles. We want you to give those things away. I mean, think about it. Today is the day of salvation. That's what Scripture says. For somebody. Somebody's going to meet the Lord Jesus Christ in a very real way today. And how cool is it that he gets to use you as the, the human vessel 
to participate in revealing that truth. Uh, we as the church, we, get to, we all get to participate in that process. That's just fun. That's a lot of fun. To have a front row seat to watch people come to faith, it's amazing. So all of that to say, that's from three weeks ago. Today, we're going to see Jesus navigate the last test from the religious leaders. This is test number four. Test, this test is unique in that it's, it's not from a group of religious leaders, but rather it's from a lone scribe. This, this test is unlike the others in a sense because it's not, it doesn't have this mob mentality. Uh, the, the scribe is a bit different. We're going to find out why. Why did Jesus have to endure four tests? Well, because the Jewish leaders tested the sacrificial lambs for four days, all to make sure that they were fit for a perfect sacrifice. So in other words, what was happening to the physical lambs was also a spiritual reality for Jesus as the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. Today's test is by a scribe. A scribe is someone who devoted his, his entire life to studying and, and interpreting the Old Testament scriptures. This man is a gifted man. He knows how to read. He knows how to write. The word scribe, it literally means to write. Uh, he has a PhD in Old Testament studies. He's brilliant. So this man is, is truly the religious leader's last hope to trap Jesus as a heretic. Because that's their goal. If Jesus is a heretic, then he can't be a Messiah. He can't be the Messiah. He certainly can't be the Savior. So everyone else has failed miserably in, in trying to trap Jesus in his words here. If you remember test one, the Sanhedrin, uh, the Sanhedrin, that's, that's the Jewish Supreme Court. They challenged Jesus' authority, and they failed. Test number two came from the Pharisees and the Herodians. And they challenged Jesus' view on government and taxes, and they failed. Test number three came from the Sadducees, and they challenged Jesus' theology on the resurrection, and they failed too. So what angle is this scribe going to come at Jesus? What kind of question is this man going to pose that will once and for all be Jesus' downfall? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. Mark chapter 12, starting in verses 28 and following. One of the scribes approached, and when he heard them debating, and he saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, what command is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one and that there is no one else except him. And to love him with all of your heart with all of your understanding and with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, that is far more important than all the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you know, you're not far from the kingdom of God, and no one dared to question him any longer. Father in heaven, 
Today, you're going to teach us the only two things that matter. Lord, I pray that you continue to meet us right where we are today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. Let's take a deeper look here at verse 28. So one of the scribes approached, and when he heard when he heard them debating, and he saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? So, aha, we see here that the scribe, he asked a question about theology, uh, about the scriptures. Now, this really shouldn't be a surprise because it makes sense that this scribe is going to ask a question about, uh, about the thing that he knows the most about. The scribe is an expert in, in the Old Testament law. Your translation may say expert in the law and may say lawyer. Evidently, the scribe witnessed the, the uh, confrontation between Jesus and the Sadducees over the resurrection because in verse 28 there, he says, when he heard them debating. So the scribe heard them, that's the Sadducees. Now pause for one second. What, what's the purpose of a debate? Is it to win? Is it to learn something? Is it to be convinced of something and possibly change your mind? I, I've noticed that most of the time a debate simply solidifies what you already believe. And we're going to see that here uh, eventually in the scriptures with the scribe. He saw that Jesus answered them well. So is it possible that the scribe was one of the few religious leaders really learning Jesus' true identity here? That maybe, just maybe, that we could put this man in the same category as Nicodemus. And that may or may not be true, but, but don't think that this scribe is a supporter or a promoter of Jesus, because in Matthew's version, he tells us that he still intended to test him. So the scribe asked, which command is the most important of all? So in other words, Jesus, what is the single most significant command that God has ever given? Now, of all the questions that the scribe could have asked, why this one? Well, this question was really a question that the religious leaders seemed to debate among themselves it kind of reminds me of, of me and my pastoral colleagues when you stick about a half a dozen of us in a small room and we start asking questions that nobody wants the answers to. That's, that's what this is like. But these guys, they want to know the question, the answer to this question. So just as with the, the, the questions about all the taxes and the resurrection from three weeks ago, these religious leaders, they couldn't figure this stuff out on their own. So they were constantly debating which commands were the greatest and in their opinion, they found a distinction among the commands in Scripture. So what these Pharisees did is they came up with 613 commands in the Old Testament. They counted them. They also determined that of the 613, 248, they were positive. 365 were negative. Now here's the rub. They knew that they couldn't keep these commands. So in an effort to make them feel better about themselves, what they did is they, they, they broke them down even further. So they said some were lighter, some were smaller, some were less important, and then some were weightier. 
Some were greater, some were more important than the others. But even still, they couldn't reach a consensus as to which laws fell into what category. And then finally, once again, they realized they, they couldn't even keep a handful of these things. So ultimately, they focused on their man-made traditions instead of God's biblical laws. So with all that context, what the scribe is truly asking here is Jesus... Which commandment supersedes all the other commands? Or we could ask it like this. What is the one command to which everything else flows from? Now question, how is this a trap? How how is this question a trap for Jesus? Well, most likely this scribe, he's, he's a Pharisee, and a Pharisee's hero is Moses. So in the scribe's opinion, no one else is greater than Moses. So the trap is this. If Jesus gave an answer that's not found in in the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, Jesus would then be elevating himself above Moses. And if he did that, the scribe would call him a heretic. So he doesn't want to do that. So that's the trap. So let's see how Jesus answers here. Verse 29. Jesus said, the most important is listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. So Jesus is quoting a famous passage that every Jew was familiar with. Devout Jews, they had this this passage memorized. They would recite it twice a day, morning and evening. It it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It's called the Shema. It's the central confession of the Jewish faith. Devout Jews, what they, would, what they would do is they would wear a tiny leather box called a phylactery, and they would wear it on their forehead or around their wrist. You see a leather band around their wrist um, while they were praying. Uh, the Shema was the, the first thing that was stated during a Jewish worship service as well. It was basically the creed of Israel, the Shema. It means to hear, to listen. It means to give ear. And the reason that the Shema is so important to the Jews is that every other religion has multiple gods. So the Shema, it emphasized that the one true living God, he is one. So back to verse 29, Jesus says this. He says, the most important is listen. Listen, Israel. So listening in the Jewish context, it also means obedience, So listening and obedience, those things are two sides of the same coin here. Verse 30, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. So that word love there, that is agapao, agape love. This is a divine love. This is not a worldly love. Agapao, it's a loyal love. And that brings us to our first key point today, agapao. We could define it this way. It is a faithful love regardless of the cost to you. Agapao, agape love. It's a faithful love regardless of the the cost to you. So in other words, this kind of love is going to cost you something. This is a giving love. The world doesn't know this kind of love. Because their version of love, it just takes. What have you done for me lately? See, agapao, it's it's a love that gives until you got nothing left. 
You, you can't know this kind of love unless you're a believer, unless you believe that Jesus is God. And you will never experience this kind of love until you first accept him into your life, that you have first confessed him as Lord and Savior, and that you believe that God the Father raised this man from the dead. Why did he do that? To prove that he is God. So verse 30, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Notice the command here. Jesus doesn't say to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He doesn't say that. Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. That word all is repeated four times in, in, in I'm sorry, it's repeated four times in one verse. So that's important. Circle that word all in verse 30. The sense here is that we are commanded to love God with our whole person. It could be translated this way. Love the Lord your God from out of your entire heart and from out of your entire soul and from out of your entire mind and from out of your entire strength. See, the Shema, it stresses the source of love. Agapao, it arises out of, out of the core of who you are, your entire being. It's an all-consuming love. We are to love God from the very core of who we are. No other affection surpasses this kind of love. Agapao, it doesn't have anything else mixed into it. This is a pure love. Jesus said this, he said, blessed are the pure in heart. Why would he say that? Because the pure in heart, you're going to see God. Once again, you're going to see Jesus face to face. See, our love for Jesus, it's not to be lukewarm. It's not to be indifferent or, or mixed into all this worldly stuff that's going around us. This kind of love, it's a blazing fire in our souls. One church father said this. He, he said, once you set yourself on fire for the Lord, people will come to watch you burn. That's agapao love. Verse 31, Jesus goes on. He says, the second is this. You got to love your neighbor as yourself. There, there is no other command greater than these. So notice the scribe, he only asked for the greatest commandment. He asked for one. Jesus gives a second. Second part of Jesus' answer here is also taken from the Old Testament. This is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. This passage also very, very familiar to the Jews. Please note here, Jesus, he's not answering the scribe's question with anything that they don't already know. The other prophets, rabbis, scribes, they've been repeating these two commands since Moses gave them for the past 7,000 years. So we have to ask ourselves, well, wait a second. Why is Jesus' answer so unique? Well, because this was the first time anyone actually placed them together. The brilliance is this, is that Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments in his answer. So verse 29, what it does is it recaps the first four commandments. They all have to do with love for God. And then verse 30 sums up 
the final six commandments, and they have to do with love for other people. Notice here, Jesus did not give a new command. He simply summarizes 613 commands in two sentences. Dang, I love that. Jesus is saying that love for God and love for people, you can't divide those things. See, love for God, that's a vertical thing. And love for people, that's horizontal. What a beautiful picture of the cross, right? Love God, love people. So back to verse 31, the second is this, love your neighbor doesn't stop there. You got to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh-oh. It's easy to, to love an invisible God, especially when your, your version of God is pretty much just like yourself, but maybe just a tad more moral. It's easy to love, to love the Casper the friendly ghost, but the second command puts rubber on the road. See, to love God, Jesus is, is saying, that's incomplete. You have to love people. The apostle John said this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, <laughs> you can't love God whom he hasn't seen. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I look at this, this verse and I go, um, hey, Jesus, have, have you met my neighbor? He's crazy. <laughs> and not, not only am I supposed to love this guy, but I'm supposed to love him as much as I love myself. Uh-oh. What's that mean? Well, it just means that we take care of ourselves. When we're hungry, we eat. When we're tired, we rest. Each one of us is, is fixated. Each one of us, we're addicted to ourselves and our own level of comfort. And whether you want to admit that or not, you're always looking out for number one. You're always looking out for yourself. Neighbor, it's not just the folks who live next to you, but everyone that, uh, that you meet. So that brings us to key point number two. It takes two commands to embrace the one will of God. It takes two commands to embrace the one will of God. See, loving God and loving people, that's how you prove that you're a child of God. That's how you know that you've been changed by the grace of God. So verse 32, and then the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one and that there is no one else except him. My response to that is, duh, you're right. Telling the Lord God he's right. To love him with all of your heart, with all of your understanding, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So he just kind of paraphrases that. And then he says this, that is far more important than all the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. So once again, we've got this religious leader. He, he was out to prove Jesus wrong, but actually he now says that Jesus is right. So two things are pretty surprising here with this scribe's answer about loving God and loving people. He says it's far more important than all the burnt offerings, 
all the sacrifices. Two things on this. Number one, notice we're in the middle of Passover week here. The main focus of this week is sacrifice. Number two, the location of where the scribe is and where Jesus is, they're at the temple. So what the scribe is actually admitting here is that loving God and loving people, it's much more important than the entire ceremonial system that's going on right now, the whole sacrificial Old Testament system. So all that to say this, Jesus is, he's turning this man's world upside down. Because everything that he knew about God, see, it was based on his performance. So just like the rich young ruler who walked away from Jesus, this man is going to be tempted to do the same. Hey, Bill, would you mind tapping the air condition up a degree? I'm seeing people do this. I think we're freezing people somehow. Thank you, sir. Verse 34, so when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, and no one dared to question him any longer. So this is pretty interesting. Jesus compliments this man. Jesus saw that this scribe was thinking outside of his religious box. So in other words, the scribe was was starting to understand that the Old Testament The word of God that he loved so much was was much more than a system of of rules to follow. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 13. He says, love is the fulfillment of the law. Loving God, loving people, that's all you have to do. In other words, you, you can't go wrong. You cannot go wrong loving the one true God Um, just a fraction of how much Jesus loves you. You can't go wrong with that. Verse 34, Jesus says, you know what? You're not far from the kingdom of God. Notice here that Jesus didn't say you are in the kingdom. He says you're not far from the kingdom. Big difference there. In other words, you're beginning to see the truth here. Now, even though, this, even though Jesus compliments this man, it's also a warning on the other side. So I, I'm not really a big fan of sports analogies, but let me give you a few. You know, the scribe is fourth down, and he's just inches away from the touchdown. You know, it's like the scribe, he, he, he shoots the, the three-pointer, and the buzzer goes off, and it hits the rim. The man missed the bullseye by just a hair. Right? And the worst one of all, he rimmed the, the hole for a hole in one. He missed it. So, dear friends, it's entirely possible, think about this, to be within an inch of heaven and still go to hell. No matter how hard you think you're working to please God, the reality is that you've never loved God with all of your heart. And with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And you certainly don't love your neighbor as yourself. That was a great spot for an amen. Uh-huh. (laughs) 
Why is it impossible for us to do these things? Because apart from the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't have the capacity to love God with an agapao love. Though the scribe was so close, he still made that conscious and willful decision to be separated from the kingdom of God. And according to rabbinic teaching, to recite the Shema, that is to submit to the yoke of the kingdom of God. And tragically, we don't see this man do that. He doesn't bow his knee. He doesn't worship Jesus as the God of the Shema. Lastly, in verse 34, Mark tells us, no one dared to question Jesus any longer. If we don't focus on this last statement, we're really going to miss something significant. The sense here is that no one had the courage to ask Jesus another question. Why is that? Two reasons. Number one, because nothing is more serious than your entry into the kingdom of heaven. This conversation about eternal life is the most serious conversation you will ever have. And it's also the most serious conversation for those that you're ministering to. And number two, look who's speaking. Jesus, the Lamb of God who came from heaven to pay our sin debt with his own blood. That's who's speaking. The propitiation is about to be made. In other words, the appeasing of God's wrath for your sin is about to be satisfied. God Almighty, the second person of the Trinity, the one who spoke everything to existence, he's the one that's speaking. (laughs) So this is Jesus' final answer. He's done being tested. He's, He's had enough of all this, all these silly little religious riddles with these uh, leaders. So he's done playing defense here. Next week, we're going to see Jesus go on the offense. And this is fascinating. But let me ask you this. In your opinion, what is the most detestable, what is the most heinous sin that you could ever commit? Is it murder? Is it adultery? Is it idolatry? Or is it the failure of not loving God from out of your entire being? And the failure of not loving your neighbor as yourself? Now, I don't know about you guys, but that scares me to death. That Jesus tells us that these are the only two things that matter. And if, if we fail in doing these two things, wow. It scares me because I haven't kept either one of these commands for a nanosecond. And yet, our love for God and and the love for our neighbor, that's the very foundation of the Christian life. So what are we to do? How do we love as Jesus commands us to love? Well, key point number three, we love not perfectly, but increasingly. 
We love not perfectly, but increasingly. Jesus told this scribe that he's not far from the kingdom of God. So do you ever wonder yourself, like how far away from the kingdom you are? You ever have a really bad day and you go, Jesus, am I even saved? Maybe you think that if you don't keep doing what you've always done and you keep serving, that you just might lose your salvation. Dear friends, it's entirely possible to grow up, if you, if you grew up in this beaver cleaver type family and you went to church every Sunday and, and you know how to explain the gospel, it's possible for all of that and for you still not to get it. It's, it's, it's possible to have studied and gone to Bible college and seminary and still not be saved. I'll never forget this. Dr. John Lake, he was teaching a theology class, a year worth of theology, master's level course in seminary, and we're getting ready to take our final. Before he hands out the final, he gives the gospel message. He goes all Billy Graham on everybody. Why? Why would he do that? Because he knows this is possible. He, he knows that, that there is a very real reality that someone could pass his class and still go to hell. That blew me away. I, I could not believe that. So yeah, it, it's entirely possible from today's text that we see we can come to an inch of the kingdom of God and yet it means nothing because you didn't believe. You, you may have done all these other things, but you did not believe, and believing is the work of salvation. Key point number four for us is that you don't fall into love. You choose to love. You don't fall into love. You choose to love. We are to love when we don't want to love. We are to love when we want to scream and yell and accuse and fight. How, how do we become really practical with all this? How do you know that you know that you know that you love God? How do you know that you're actually in the kingdom? It's very, very simple. You do what the Bible says. There is a growing love for God and his people on one side, and then there is a growing hatred for your old sin on the other. Because knowing what the Bible says, that's not enough. The question is, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to apply these two things of loving God and, and loving others right now and then throughout the rest of the week? Because we all know it's a lot easier to, to read about love than to actually do it. And the world loves the idea of love. The world loves its own version of love. They think it's subjective, meaning that it means one thing to one person and, and it means something else to another. But God, on the other hand, we see here, God commands that we love in a very particular way. And if you call River Bible Church your home, your assignment for the kingdom of God in the Verde Valley is, is always the same. Your mission is to take one of those blue invitation cards 
and give it to one person this week. One card, one person. And dear friends, if we, if we do that together, then we're handing out and we're inviting 40 to 50 people a week to hear the good news. That's our duty as the church. That's how we fulfill the Great Commission. Are you guys praying for divine appointments? Are you, are you looking for God intersections? You want to know a little secret? I'm praying for these appointments for you. Some of you are saying, Dustin, I wish you would stop praying because I don't know how to handle these. I'm praying that you, you have the courage to learn and to love God and to love people as much as you love yourself. And that you'll join God in what he's doing in the Verde Valley. I mean, think about it. How fun is it to be used by God to help someone score an eternal touchdown? How cool is that? To sink a divine three-point shot. Divine. Like you're going to change this man or this woman's life forever and possibly the rest of their family. How fun to watch someone get a, a holy hole-in-one. How fun to watch Jesus build his church and then for all of us to be a very, very small part of that. Dear friends, that's fun. Father in heaven, you have taught us the two most important things in our lives. And that is we are to love you and to love others as we love ourselves. Lord, you know that we cannot do this by ourselves. We don't have the capacity in ourselves. So, Father, please meet us where we are. Show us how to do things right. How to turn away from our selfishness and our sin and our love for ourselves and, and to take that energy and to pour all of those things into the kingdom of God right here in the Verde Valley, right here in, the, in our backyard. Lord, I pray. I pray that as we do that, we do make you smile this week. That we spread the good news. That people can be reconciled to God. That they can have peace with God. And there's one way to have that peace, and that is to, to know the Lord Jesus. So Lord, thank you for your son. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.